Zach, the other day I went to someone's house for dessert. They had a couple people over. Yeah. And there were toppings Perfectly acceptable yeah, by yeah. the CDC. Yeah, just an appropriate CDC gathering. Yeah, yeah. And they had some topping. It was ice cream. Okay. I mean, bluebell as far as the eye could see. Right. Flavors oh. I did not even know existed. You, that's when you just open the door and it's like angels start oh, singing. Yeah, just yeah. like that. I mean, just as beautiful as you just Whatever did. <laughs> note that was in the key of E. I don't even know what that means. I'm not I a musical guy, but. I love it. Just like, let, oh. let me guess. Yeah. There were Oreo crumbles. Yeah. There were chocolate chips. Mm-hmm. There were maybe Reese's pieces yes or, thanks for saying reese's and not reese's that, that's a story for another time another time and maybe maybe sprinkles yeah there were sprinkles what could what did you get i there was actually hot fudge oh so it tasted like the hot fudge from uh i don't know if you're familiar the chili's uh molten lava cake i hope you were talking to the listeners and not me because you know i'm familiar. oh i'm talking to the listeners Zach. <laughs> okay, we've, we've spent some good hours with spoons in hand with a, a lava cake in <laughs> just between hot us. out of the microwave hot out of the microwave <laughs> but no less love None. from the chili employees None. however i got oreo crumbles okay and hot fudge okay and respectfully passed on all the other options, yeah. specifically the sprinkles. And I, I literally, this is true. Someone was like, you want sprinkles? I was like, no, I don't want sprinkles. They're a waste. Why Why the tone? Because I am I am an avid protester of sprinkles. I think they're overhyped and overvalued. Okay, so you hate joy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Zach. Have you ever seen the joy of a little kid walk? No, you haven't. So here, backstory. Okay, okay. I grew up in an ice cream shop. That's actually very true. My dad was the ice cream man in town. Coldstone Creamery. Coldstone Creamery, Not if you're sponsored. familiar. And he actually doesn't work there anymore. That's true. But when I, all of my childhood. He owned owner-operator, not just like a scooper. <laughs> yes. yeah, 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 yeah. He was the owner-operator of a couple Coldstones. Right. And, I mean, I would argue best childhood ever. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty, I, if not best, up there. Oh, easily. Yeah. And now he works at camp, so it just gets better. <laughs> right, right, right. So he, I grew up everywhere we went. My dad was giving out ice cream and there were sprinkles. So I got to see the joy of little kids walking up to a table saying, I'm saying, what, cho- or what ice cream would you like? They say, vanilla. What toppings would you like? Gummy bears and sprinkles. Yeah. Why did they say gummy bears and sprinkles, you gummy ask? gummy bears are great. Gummy bears are a great ice cream topping. No. Yeah, they're good. They're terrible. They're good because they get like a little bit chewier and harder when they're frozen on the okay, ice cream. I could see that. But here's the deal. The color, the pizzazz, yeah. the joy. Yeah. And they they add so much to the ice cream. The yeah. crunch in the ice cream because of sprinkles, unmatched. Okay. Let me ask you this. Okay. Do you have ice cream in your freezer? Uh, Monica, will you see if we have any ice cream in the studio freezer? <laughs> We do. We do. Now, Zach, I would bet you that while you have ice cream, you do not have sprinkles in the pantry. Uh, Monica, what do we got? Cooper. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, tell me you're not shocked, though. I am. I mean, you have sprinkles. I'll also say, I don't know why we have them or what we used them on. Yeah. So, okay. I feel like like point's still proven. Now, when you when you think. when you've made your last bowl of ice cream, did you put sprinkles on it? I didn't know we had them. <laughs> yeah, but now that I do, I yeah. will. I will. No, uh, my argument is sprinkle. I think you outgrow them. Oh, you're kidding. Here's the deal: you never outgrow I joy. Hate outgrowing things. You never outgrow joy or I'm childhood. Like a lost boy in Peter Pan. I don't want to grow up. You don't have to grow up. All right, but sprinkles are they no longer add value. They add no flavor. They're a gross. It's like chalky texture. 
Here's the deal. I do in like ice cream. I do like the ball, the ball crunchy sprinkles on sugar cookies. That's a game changer for me. Yeah, great American cookie because it adds texture. Shake my hand. I will shake it gladly. <laughs> but I'm saying those like classic sprinkles you think of yeah. when you think sprinkle, like the longer ones that are like you could mush them in your hand and they yeah, just we're thinking become the same powder. Thing. Those are useless. Okay, let me contrast something for you. Yes. If you were taking pictures of food, I think they're a great addition. Oh, of course. Yeah, we don't need we're not talking about aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. You would prefer gummy bears over sprinkles. 100%. You are crazy. I I'm just telling you the facts, Zach. No, I think I think sprinkles add so much because listen, no. Listen. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, you I'm said I, I have more ice cream experience than you. That's so true. I'll, I'll just I'll, but, I'll quote, lay that. They foundation. add so much. Quote Zach Funderburg. So what is the so much? Joy. They add joy. Okay. The, on top of, I think they taste good. Now I'm not saying okay. I just eat sprinkles Would one by. Eat, let me finish my <laughs> okay, point. Okay. I'm not saying I just. Eat sprinkles one by one. Of course. No one does that. Would you eat a spoonful right now to prove your point? Easily. Okay. Monica, a spoonful of sprinkles, please. Okay, this is going off the rails, folks. This is uncut. All right, here we go. It's going in my mouth. This is gross mm, to watch. Mm. It's just you. you mm-hmm. Mm. And now that there's chalk in your mouth. Okay. All right. What is your thoughts, honestly, on the flavor? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, be there, honest. I, I, I don't allow pride to inflict your and you inflict your. Now, response. here's what I'll say. There is a reason that sprinkles are not eaten by themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because and I experience they it. taste like chalk. Thank you, Monica. But in ice cream, it changes. The listen, listen, <laughs> oh hear me out. Okay, I'm hearing you. You you, uh, you mix some in. Okay. And then you pour some on top. Okay. Now your first spoonful is. Bot, you you stick it through it penetrates through the sprinkles yep. and scoops ice cream yep. now it's the top is still covered in sprinkles yes okay enters your mouth and then as you do tongue up and it goes roof of I'm mouth familiar with and how you to eat and you pull it out okay? okay yeah and sprinkles are on top yeah there's flavor and you feel the texture it's the texture <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, so you would say they add joy and texture. Joy and texture. Okay. Now, for taste, how much tech, like minimal texture though, right? It's like chalky. But it's it's the perfect Just amount. Let's just go get some Tums and crush them up and sprinkle it on. Tums? <laughs> yeah, they're like chalky. You know what Tums are? Yes, I know what Tums okay, are. They're like chalky and they like, you think they're going to taste good and you're like, <laughs> they like taste like chalk. But it's medicine. Yeah. This is well, a I'm just, children's... Ice cream add-in. I know. I'm just, I'm just saying it's a similar texture in my opinion. I, I think they add a lot. Yeah, texture. And I think it's significant texture. It's not overwhelming texture. Okay. But it's enough to make a difference, and the difference is noticeable. Okay, Zach, I think we just agree to disagree on this point. Follow-up question. Okay. If Hot Pockets have sprinkles on them, are they still a sandwich? Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg. Sprinkle my, boy. <laughs> here with my co-host, the gummy bear himself, Coop McCullough. Oh, I'm a gummy bear. <laughs> How we doing, Coop? I'm, it's, I'm doing good. I was, feel like that was a good civil disagreement. Man. I like it. Yeah. I, we need more of that, I think. We do. Uh, speaking of disagreement, Coop, we don't have an, <laughs> an interview yet. Yes, but we have an intro. But we have an intro. And sometimes that's all the people that's want. That's all the people want is a 15-minute <laughs> intro well just like we have done in the past we will get an interview to you it's a mystery Somehow, we don't know how or who but jehovah jireh the lord, will, the lord provide. will provide and we're trusting him and so i'm gonna just give it to future zach future zach 
Godspeed, my friend. Just as Zach and Cooper said from the past, the Lord provided an interview, and he did this week through the great Michael Atmar. I first met Michael Atmar summer of 2017 at Canica Camps. He was the director at K1. He's since left to become a, the director of house churches at Seven Miles Road Church in Houston. And, and Michael is one of the kindest, most gentle leaders that I have ever met. So fittingly, we talked to him about the heart of a shepherd. There's an incredible analogy of leadership through a shepherd leading his flock. And that's what we talked about today. We will kind of walk through a book that has influenced us so greatly, which is called The Way of the Shepherd by Kevin Lehman. And we learned so much from the way the shepherd leads, the way he cares for his flock, and how he carries a staff. And that staff protects, directs, and corrects his sheep. And so there's so much to learn here. And I can't wait to share this episode with y'all. So without further ado, here he is, Michael Atmar. Well, Michael, it's so good to connect with you and see you again. You, you moved away from Branson, Missouri a few years ago, and uh, you're now down in Houston, correct? And at what church are you at in Houston? Uh, the church is called Seven Mile Road, Houston. That's right. Uh, but we kind of connected at first at Canicut Camps uh, before, before this. But kind of introduce yourself. Who are you? Kind of what's your road to get there? The short story of, of who you are. Yeah, Zach, thanks for having me, man. I'm so excited to be here. Um, so a little bit about me. I grew up in Houston, uh, but I went to summer camp up in in Branson, Missouri at Canicook as a young kid. And that's actually where I first heard um, about Jesus. I heard the gospel message um, that Jesus died on the cross and rose again so that sinners could be forgiven by trusting in him. And so as an eight-year-old boy, that's where I, I trusted in Jesus, um, believed that that was the Holy Spirit's work in my life. And, and camp was a big part of my discipleship journey, you know, growing up. And, and so was my local church back here in Houston. And so after, uh, you know, going to, to college at the University of Texas and working in the business world for a year, I studied finance as my undergrad, um, got a phone call, sitting at my desk one day, uh, building a discounted cash flow model. And I got a call <laughs> from Chris Cooper and he said, Mikey, do you ever want to come be a camp director? Uh, we need to hire a husband and wife, preferably to come and, and serve as assistant directors at K1. And so had the chance to move up to Missouri. Branson's where my wife is from. She grew up there. And so we just had an amazing experience serving for four years as assistant directors at K1. We got to team up with Chris Cooper, Matt Houston, and, and Shay Robbins, and just learned a ton from that season. That's obviously, Zach, where we got to uh, really know each other more deeply. Right. And, and, uh, and then now down here uh, serving on staff at Seven Mile Road, I get to serve as our pastor of house churches, which I'd love to tell you more about, but, um, but really learning a lot about what it means to, to shepherd other people and teach them um, and also encourage them uh, to use their gifts to, to build up the body of Christ. I love it. And that is where our paths cross at Canicuck. And I think there's so many connections for so many people at Canicuck. And I think if you were to build a Mount Rushmore of men in my life, the people that you mentioned there, the Coopers, the, the Shea Robbins, the Matt Houston's would be some men who are on that. But I would love to talk about the house churches. What are you doing with house churches down in Houston? So we consider our church down here, um, rather than being primarily focused on our Sunday gathering, which obviously mm -hmm. we really value the preaching of the word and, um, uh, you know, uh, 
and the importance of, of gathering for corporate worship and observing the sacraments. That's so important for our spiritual growth. But we actually consider ourselves a congregation of house churches scattered all throughout the city. So um, there are currently 35 house churches, and we've chosen that language. Really, these are our groups. These are our small groups. Um, right. We've chosen the language trying to take our cues from how they talked about gathering in homes in the New Testament. You, you hear Paul talk about like, hey, make sure you greet so-and-so in the church in their house. And so we've kind of chosen that language to add some gravity to what we're hoping and praying will happen um, as brothers and sisters in Christ are gathering together. And we actually refer to the leaders of those house churches as house church shepherds. We Look at that. That's right. So we consider them the front lines of pastoral uh -huh. care. And so much of, of um, my work and, and my team that I get to work alongside, what we're trying to do is really equip these leaders to use their gifts for the work of ministry. So it's really mm -hmm. exciting to see what God's doing. Well, I mean, another just way the Lord kind of connects our conversation with history and what you're doing now is just the fact that you call them shepherds and what an easy segue into what we want to talk about today of just the heart of a shepherd. And there's a there's an analogy or an illustration of what leadership looks like, and it, it comes through the lens of what a shepherd does of leading his flock. So I'd love for you to kind of explain that. Where does it come from and where does Jesus use this in the Bible? You know, it's fascinating, Zach, to think about the image of a shepherd just from Genesis to Revelation in the Bible. Uh, if you were to just flip through the pages of your Bible, so many of the great leaders in the Bible uh, started their journey shepherding a flock. Um, and I just, to, to name a few examples, I think about Moses who you know, was in the wilderness for years and he's tending a flock and that's kind of the preparation for the Lord to appear to him in the burning bush and send him to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt. Or you think about David, the shepherd king. You think about God saying, I took you from the pasture. David, don't forget where you came from. And that was the preparation for him to lead um, as kind of the king of kings in the Old Testament. And then, of course, Jesus in his uh, good shepherd teaching in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And, and I could keep going. I'll give you one more thinking about the Apostle Paul as he is giving kind of a farewell speech to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, um, he charges them to care for the church of God as shepherds, to shepherd the, the church of God, to view their role um, as, as one who is taking care of, leading sheep to safe pasture, to, to, um, to grasp where they can be nourished and, and fed, where they can be protected from predators. And so I think that uh, you know, taking our cues from Jesus and taking our, our cues from the scriptures, this image of a leader being a shepherd um, is really uh, maybe the most vivid expression of what leadership ought to look like as you flip through the pages of your Bible. And it's so lowly too. You think of like some of the leaders that you that first come to mind, and they might be warriors or war heroes. And in the same time, David, you could say was, and some of these other leaders were. But the the imagery of a shepherd is so just gentle. And, and so, how does that kind of play into leadership? That that image of the shepherd and, and leaders, where you can be mighty but also gentle. What, what's the connection there? You know, I think for me, uh, I'm. I'm constantly reminded in my role that I'm called to shepherd the, the flock of God that's been entrusted to 
um, to me, along with the other pastors and elders at our church here um, in Houston. But I'm also reminded that I'm a sheep as well. That that Jesus is the chief shepherd and I'm an under shepherd and what a what a privilege to be led by the good shepherd. I need him to tend to my heart and to come and get me out of, um, you know, just foolish places that I that I place myself and my and my sin, um, but also for him to lead me so that I can lead others. And so I think I think it's so important to remember um, you know, this lowly image of a shepherd uh, that that as we are called to lead those around us, as we are called to tend those around us, we can't forget that that we also need to be led, that we also um, are sheep ourselves. And I think that humility is a really crucial aspect of biblical leadership. Gosh, I, I love that. Just the humility. And that's where I think a lot of leaders miss it. And it's all about themselves and rather than caring for their flock. And I think a big part of the, the shepherd imagery, and you mentioned it in the Acts 20 uh, that Paul was talking to his kind of charge to the Ephesians, his farewell message, if you will, is that you need to care for and, and that a shepherd needs to know the condition of his flock, of every one of the flock, which means getting down there with them, not being secluded and they're out in a pasture, but that he is there with them walking with them so he knows their condition. How do you or how do leaders know the condition of their flock and care for their needs whenever their needs arise? That's a great question, Zach. I think uh, I think it's just so important as leaders that we don't get stuck kind of in our ivory tower in our office or, or um, just wanting to remove ourselves from how uncomfortable it can be to really bear other people's burdens. And so I find myself, uh, when it's been a stressful week, I just kind of want to hole up in my office and have some time just to, you know, do some, some deep thinking or praying, or, you know, like I kind of want to get away from, from the people (laughs) and the burdens that, uh, that are out there. But I think, I think it's actually intended to be the case that like, that our time with the Lord actually, fills us and drives us out to go and be where the people are. And so I think the only way that we can really know the condition of the people that, that we're being called to shepherd is by, um, you know, making time to listen to them, making time to go and meet them where they are and ask good questions and hear what's challenging hear where, um, you know, where they're in pain and also, uh, celebrate with them. I think if we don't, if we don't make time to listen to our people, we're really not going to know the condition of our flock. And I think that's, that's something that, um, you know, that really can't be delegated is, is taking the time to listen to those that, that the Lord's entrusted to you to lead. That's good. Uh, the, the hearing and the listening aspect, uh, I love that of you might be down there with them, but you can't just be talking and barking at them the whole time. There's a the humility aspect of going back to humility of if you're down and you want to really lead this flock or know the condition of your sheep, you have to listen and you have to hear. And I think that's a, a mindset shift for a lot of leaders of if they're in a position where they're leading, that means they need to be commanding or they need to be throwing out the charges. This is where we're going to go. This is what we're going to do rather than stepping back, sitting down and just listening. And so for you, what does that look like? How do you just constantly remind yourself to listen or what questions do you ask? What are some practical tips that you can give us of being good listeners of those we're leading? 
you know, I have to give credit to my wife here. She's a much better listener than I am. I think I'm constantly learning from her and, and thinking about the ways that she, um, you know, that she really shepherds and tends to our three boys. I mean, she's so present with them. Um, she knows what they love. She gets down on their level. Uh, she like our, our four-year-old loves Legos right now. And, uh, my wife, Erin is constantly putting together Legos and taking apart Legos. And I just use that example to say that I think in order to be, uh, an excellent shepherd, we have to be aware of, of what the people that we lead, what they love, what excites them, what are they passionate about? What's, um, what, what stresses them out? What's their least favorite part of what they're doing? Um, you know, and also what gets them up in the morning. I think, I think, uh, behind that, that act of listening is really a heart that really deeply cares for people. And, and I think so often for me, what gets in the way of me being a great listener is my heart's not in the right place. And I think that I actually have all the answers. And so I'm kind of winding up and preparing for what I'm going to say next. That's going to kind of fix whatever the situation is. And so uh got to be honest and say, I've learned a lot from my wife in this regard and I'm constantly learning um, from her in this way. I think I get caught up so much in that too, of rather than listening. And even while I'm doing these interviews, it can be hard. It's like, I'm gearing up for what the next question is I'm going to ask or the next thing I'm going to say. And a lot of times it's how can I make myself look good and make sure that I have a cohesive sentence that I'm going to say next. And it's people pleasing at the end of the day. But I love that of truly listening uh, takes I mean, takes away from thinking about what you're going to say next. And, and you mentioned your family in there and you have a lot of kind of flocks you have to shepherd, whether it's the house churches, it's the people of the church, but your, I guess your number one priority is your family. And it talks about overseers and leaders a lot in the Bible of their, their wives respect them, their children love them. And, and you have to have the condition of your family secure and in and, and, and a safe and good place before you can ever expect to lead the church. So for you, the million dollar question that I try to ask so many people and it's so hard and, and everyone talks about how hard it is. How do you manage that? The flock of church, the flock at home, how, how do you balance work and life? Bro, this is the question. And I'll tell you, the young leader, this is, um, you know, this is, this is my growth edge. This is the area where I, I know that the Lord is calling me um, into more and he's kind of broadening my shoulders and, um, and showing me that, it's actually in my home where, uh, and not somewhere else, but in my home, that is where he is doing so much of the work of sanctification in my life. And, um, and so I think about it this way, as a husband, my first ministry is to my wife. It's to love and serve her. It's to lay down my life for her. Um, and I can't do that, by the way, in my flesh, in my own strength. I have to receive that kind of love from Jesus in order to give that kind of love. I have to be mindful of what he has done for me, how he has laid down his life for me. Um, and I think that's the Holy Spirit's work to make, to make the work of Jesus and the love of Jesus real to our hearts. And it's, it's receiving that love that, that empowers me, motivates me, um, and ultimately uh, gives me the desire to want to love and serve my wife. And, and out of the overflow of that, Aaron and I get to team up, um, you know, to, 
to shepherd our boys. We have three sons. We have a four-year-old named Case, a two-year-old named Declan, and a five-month-old little boy named Tate. And that's kind of our great adventure together uh, as, as we are, you know, ministering to one another, loving and serving one another, um, but, but also together uh, wanting to raise these young boys to know and love Jesus. And, uh, and I think the only way that we can do that well is by um, ministering out of our marriage, like for us to team up in that. And, and I think God's design is that that would overflow into the way that I'm, I'm shepherding and leading in the life of the church. I'm, I'm not qualified to lead in the life right. of the church apart from that. And, uh, and so I think it's a love that you have to receive, uh, before you can give. I love kind of the flow chart you kind of built there. Cause I think a lot of people fall into that. We have work life. We have, we have family life and they're separated and they, they don't interact. And, and once I'm here, I can't be here. And, and then sometimes it bleeds over. And then you have issues where you have parents who aren't as present or you you're failing at work and you're, or you're winning at work and you're failing at home. But I love the way you put it is that my relationship with Christ is the foundation that that influences the way that I want to and will love my wife. And then from that, we get to team up and love our kids. And then from there is where we move into those house churches and getting to shepherd. I just love the uh, the chart you kind of built there. And there's another piece of imagery from uh, from the shepherd, and it's his staff. And the shepherd's staff, that it's so famous that you see him carry. It's got the big, like, the, I don't even, half sort of the crescent on the top, if you will, and, and what it's used for. So can you kind of tell us kind of talk through the the imagery of the shepherd's staff. Yeah, I think a book that we both love, Zach, yeah. is The Way of the Shepherd, that that I'd highly recommend to to the listeners. I mean, it's certainly influenced the way that I think about leadership and and I think ultimately is is pointing back to the way that Jesus leads us. He leads his church. Um, but when you think about the 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 rod and the staff in in the 23rd Psalm, um, David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, focusing on the staff, the staff is is used to, to direct the sheep, to correct them, to protect them. Um, you know, so often you can, uh, in that book that, that, uh, that I referenced, uh, you think about the shepherd kind of gently tapping the sheep uh, if they kind of start veering off course. Um, just a little nudge most of the time is what it takes to get them back um, with the rest of the flock and going in the direction that the shepherd's leading. Um, but sometimes uh, all of us veer way off course and get stuck in a tree or in a fence and, and uh, in the hook on the staff has the ability to pick, pick the sheep up and move them back or, or pull them back a little bit more um, firmly. Sometimes that's needed. Uh, yeah. I think also you think about the, the staff being used um, to even just let the sheep know that the shepherd's there, like mm. even to, even to, you know, kind of stroke the back of the sheep and let them know, Hey, your shepherd's here with you. And your shepherd's not here to drive you like a, you know, like a barking dog or like a, a, a cowboy driving cattle. Like your shepherd's out in front leading you to, to green pasture and is aware of, of how you're doing. Um, and I think, I think there's just a lot of, a lot to think about there and a lot that, um, that parallels what it means to be a faithful husband, a faithful dad, a faithful pastor, or thinking about many, many listeners, like just a faithful friend, like whatever God might be calling you to. I think, uh, I think there is a, a, a way for us all to grow as, as shepherds, um, of the people around us. 
Yeah. And kind of move it into, obviously, uh, anyone listening and you, you're not walking around your church with a staff uh, gently tapping uh, the people who work at the church when they kind of veer out of line. So what, a, what does that take for a leader in our day and age? We can take this, this imagery from the shepherd's staff, but what does that look like practically for you as a leader? Well, I read an interview one time uh, about this sweet uh, older lady named Beverly, and uh, and it was a, it was a younger woman that was it was kind of writing about her mentoring relationship with this sweet older lady named Beverly, and she always talked about how uh, you know when when she was complaining to her mentor about whatever the circumstances of life might have been at the time, Beverly had a way of gently challenging her like this gentle challenge that's clearly embedded in love i think is an essential part of mentoring i think it's an essential part of of discipleship it's an essential part of um of shepherding and so i think every shepherd needs to have that gear needs to have the ability to speak the truth in love you think about jesus being full of grace and full of truth I mean, he knows his sheep by name. He knows exactly what they need in that moment. A bruised reed, he doesn't break. A faintly burning wick, he doesn't quench. Like He knows when somebody just needs a hug. And he knows when somebody needs like a nudge or a kick in the pants, right? Like he, yeah. he he's like the perfect leader. And so I think for, for me, thinking about sweet Beverly mentoring this younger woman, you know, or I think about... Uh, just so many great leaders that I have um, gotten to be around and learn from and be led by. I mean, I, I am a product of God's grace in, in every way. And I think about how that has manifested itself through faithful mentors in my life. Um, many of whom, you know, Zach from, from Canacuc and also from, uh, from, you know, the, the local churches that I've gotten to be a part of without them being willing to lean in and correct me when my thinking is off, when my actions are off, when my attitude's off, I would have kept going down that path. I would have been like the sheep that just has its head down, chewing grass and veers way off course and gets myself in a place of pain, of danger, of just foolishness. Like what's that sheep doing? Just stuck in the fence over there. Um, And I think it takes faithful shepherds in our lives for us to be able to um, mature and be faithful shepherds for others. Yeah. And I think that's where so many leaders miss it too, is they are so focused on the encouragement and it goes back to that people pleasing aspect too, of, I want the people to, that I lead to love me and to like me. So I'm going to just lavish encouragement and support, but there has to be that healthy balance of yes, encouragement is good. But if you are not challenging, if you are not gently nudging your sheep or those you're leading, that you are missing a crucial aspect of leadership in their development, because if you truly love them, you will love them enough to speak what you said, the truth and love and say that you need this for your development and for the the betterment of our team. And I see this in you. I see the potential you have. So how do you balance support and challenge, encouragement and correction and and balance that equally or unequally and just meeting people's needs? Well, I'll be the first to admit, like on that matrix of support and challenge, I'm definitely, I definitely err on the side of high support, low challenge. I mean, I can identify with like that people pleasing that you're talking about, Zach. And, um, and I think as I've, as, as the Lord has been growing me up and as I've been following Jesus and walking with him, as time goes on, I realize that that's actually rooted in a lot of self-love. That's rooted in a lot of wanting people to like me instead of me really wanting to love people. 
like love being, um, you know, that which seeks the greatest possible good in another, like self-sacrifice that others may flourish. Um, I think about a definition of spiritual leadership that I've heard that's been really helpful for me is, you know, spiritual leadership is the responsibility to create the environment in which those under your care flourish. And so in order for someone to really flourish, there's going to, there's going to need to be, um, you know, structure, there's going to be need to be the ability to grow. I think about a, a vine that doesn't have a trellis, it will just kind of like languish on the ground. Um, and, and so all that to say support challenge, I think that balance is so important. I think it reflects this, this reality that Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. And my tendency being to just want people to like me actually creates a, a culture of entitlement and mistrust. And, and so I think about I think about the Shea Robbins in my life, guys like Shay, uh, you know, the, the lead pastor that I get to team up with down here, Jeremiah Morris, these are two just phenomenal leaders that I've gotten to spend time around and they, uh, they don't do it perfectly, but they, I really, really see them often living in that quadrant of high support and high challenge. And as a result, I really trust them. I know that they love me and that they are for me and that they're willing to deliver like difficult feedback, but it's because they want to see me grow. And I, and I also received that encouragement from them with, uh, I just know it's coming with such sincerity because they're also willing to say like, Hey, Mike, you're doing great in these ways. This is what you're doing so good. Here's where like, we just need you to give us a little bit more or like, this is, this is where you're, you're missing it a little bit. And so I just aspire to grow into that as um, you know, as I continue to have the opportunity to serve as a pastor and I'm thankful for models. Like, I think it's so important that this idea of leadership and shepherding, it's as much caught as it is taught and right. it's like we need to see it lived out and we need to experience it ourselves so that we can continue to grow in it. Yeah. And you said it there is that if you challenge and support and you balance it well, it, it develops that trust that it takes to lead people and lead them. And they know that you are actually leading them towards greener pastures, like what you had mentioned earlier. And that trust is the only way to get them to buy in and say, I love you enough to tell you this and tell you your ditches. And you in turn can tell it me too, because I know I have them as well. And now you mentioned the uh, spiritual leadership definition in there. Have you read the book Spiritual Leadership by J. Oswald Chambers? Oh man, I was hoping you'd ask that. That I did read it. I read it in seminary. And that book, there's a there's a chapter in that book um, about the connection between spiritual leadership and prayer. That so captured my imagination as I was um, I was still working at Canacook at the time when I read the book and was getting ready to transition to to pastoral ministry and was really just meditating on the connection how inseparable those two realities really are and and that actually I got to write my final thesis for seminary this past summer um, I was in Branson at the time actually Zach and yeah. I got to work on that and um, and turned it in in August and it was all about spiritual leadership and prayer and so that that book's been incredibly helpful for me and uh, it's something that I'm still chewing on like man how can I how can I do the work of prayer knowing that that is really the essence of great spiritual leadership, both in my home and in the church. Um, so I, I love it, man. I love that. Yeah. That, that one and the way of the shepherd that you had uh, mentioned earlier, two of my favorite top books on leadership that I recommend uh, to anyone listening and also to anyone listening who might be in the business world or some other realm of the church and kind of, it's an easy tendency to kind of push this, this analogy to the side because it's, it's churchy or it's rather it's, it's a pastoral shepherd role 
I think it's your job as a leader, whatever capacity you might hold to shepherd your flock. And there's principles in this episode and there's principles in these books that you can apply to your leadership in whatever capacity you hold. So do you have any encouragement to people not in a church uh, position, how they can apply these principles? I just always go back to the reality that people are either going to be motivated by fear or by love um, when it comes to experiencing our leadership. And, uh, and so I think for building just a healthy culture in, in the business world or really just in a family and in, in, in whatever context you find yourself having the opportunity to lead, I've just been so so captivated by the way that Jesus went about leadership. When I see him and I read about in Matthew chapter nine, there's kind of a summary statement of, of his ministry. And it says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I think about how central that word compassion is when it comes to describing Jesus's emotions in the gospels. It's actually the the term that's used more frequently than any other to describe Jesus's emotional state. And and so I think taking our cues from Jesus, like wanting to follow him, um, whether you're a business leader or you're leading in any capacity, whether you're a mom, like whether you are um, whoever whoever you are called to lead and shepherd, um, having that heart of compassion is going to result in uh, the activity of shepherding and caring for and creating an environment in which those under your care flourish. And that's actually going to build just deep loyalty and love from the people that you lead. They're going to want to, um, they're going to want to do their best. They're going to want to grow and they're ultimately going to flourish and thrive because they're not scared of, um, of the, the consequences of what's going to happen. Um, they're actually thriving and, uh, and, and growing because of the way that you're leading compassionately. I love it. That compassion leads to loyalty. It's so true. And you see it play out in so many different ways, but Michael, I want to ask you one more question quickly before uh, we got to go, but what advice would you give to your 20 year old self looking back at the young Michael Atmar, maybe at the the university of Texas, what, what would you tell that person if you were able to go back? Well, I think, I think the work of shepherding, um, what's really central to it is, is leading and, and feeding those that, that are under your care. And so obviously we feed people with the word of God. We want them to be nourished on the, the truth of God's word. And so I think as a young 20 year old, I, I, by God's grace understood that and was, you know, diving into my Bible and wanting to read and learn and grow. Um, but, but if I could go back and, and talk to that version of myself, I think what I'd really challenge him towards is, is that prayer is the, is the most essential work of a spiritual leader. Um, actually, I think the, the goal of all of our spiritual disciplines, even our Bible reading, is not just that we would gain information, but that we would know a person, that all of our spiritual practices and disciplines would actually lead to prayer. And I think something happens when we pray, not you know more than we even realize, both in the hearts of the people that we're praying for and in our own hearts. I think as we are just communing with the Lord and, and receiving his love, being reminded 
of what he did for us on the cross, the forgiveness that's available in him, um, the power of his resurrection. When we come to realize that he really loves us, we receive that compassion from Jesus. When we see him loving us like that, it makes us want to move out into the world as faithful shepherds and leaders. Um, And so I would just say uh, to that version of myself, to the 20-year-old Michael Atmar, man, prayer is the work. It's not preparation for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work that when we pray, nothing never happens. God is always moving, um, even in ways we can't see. And, uh, and that's the mark of all great spiritual leaders. I love it. Prayer is the most essential work of the spiritual leader. Uh, it's so true and it's so important. And even if it, it, it just shifts your perspective and in knowing that God is in control and just kind of opening your hands to that saying, God, I'm going to give this to you. Um, it's yours. But Michael, thank you so much for your wisdom and spending some time with us today. It's been a, it's been an honor. Absolutely. Zach. I loved it, man. Great being with you.